You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast devoted to Stephen King with a special focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, occasionally. (laughs) We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss King novels related to The Dark Tower, non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about potential Dark Tower-related adaptations. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at Tower junkies pod i'm your host matt hurt and with me today as usual is my co-host tiny hello hi tiny how's it going it's going great man that is awesome we are uh we just we just recorded a special patreon exclusive um bonus content which you can find at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer uh just if you pledge as low as one dollar a month you get access to a special rss feed that has uh a ton of content built up uh, over there, so you are definitely getting your money's worth, and we're uh, getting money from you, so that would be nice. Um, so, uh, that was weird, but uh, yeah, <laughs> patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. In that uh, special bonus uh, Patreon exclusive stuff, we talked about how we would occupy our time in an Overlook-like resort if we were like the winter caretaker so uh that was a fun little discussion a little window into our uh lives um outside of podcasting <laughs> so yeah check that out at patreon.com slash obsessive europe but tiny uh we are here this early morning this is an early morning for us yeah <laughs> uh we are recording this around nine thirty a.m on uh peak behind the curtain july 4th um, but this is the first time in our podcasting careers that we have recorded in an early morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is new. Um, we have, as you pointed out, I think, were we recording when we were talking about that? I don't know. But when we worked together, we worked nights together, and like we, were, we probably recorded an episode or two after work, which would have been in the morning, but it would have been our evening, if that makes sense. Right, right. right. So yeah. So this is new for us, so hopefully we... <sighs> Oh my god! So this is new for us. So hopefully, we, uh, hopefully we we um, uh, are are good with it. Uh, but tiny today we're starting our uh, shining series review series leading up to Doctor Sleep here mm-hmm. in November. Um, so today we're talking about the Shining novel, uh, which is kind of a behemoth of of Stephen King's oeuvre, mm-hmm. um, at least in terms of pop culture awareness and pop culture, um, well, awareness and the, uh, uh, he's, I don't know. Would you, would you say that this is the novel that he's most known for? Uh, you know, I really don't know because I, I wonder if, um, this is something I wanted to talk about. I don't, mm-hmm. I wonder if the, the pop culture relevance of the film has succeeded or exceeded the mm-hmm. the novel. I agree. I don't yeah. know which is more popular. I, I feel like I feel like everyone knows that the movie is based on a book, right? But I feel like I mean I feel like most people have seen the movie, 
mm-hmm. and haven't read, and, and a number of them haven't read the book. Totally. Um, and so I, I wonder if, I mean, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people, if you ask them, hey, what's The Shining about? Mm-hmm. They would give you, they would reference their, their, the memories they would reference would be the food, would be the film, the mm-hmm. movie, um, as opposed to the book. Um, which the movie's slightly different. Right. I mean, I, you know, it's like, oh, he hunts his family around this hotel with an axe. And right. it's like, well, no, he uses a rogue mallet, really. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I think that's, I, I wonder. I, there's no really way to figure it out, but like, it would be, yeah. you know, an experiment you'd have to do over years. Right. Ask people about, you know, that question and see what they say. But I, I don't know. I kind of wonder what's more popular, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really don't know. Yeah, it's a really interesting <clears throat> kind of thing because to answer your question though, I will say that I think it is his most famous property. Okay, so yeah. like you know, yeah. uh, I agree. As much as I would love the Dark Tower to be the most popular property, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think that'll ever be the case. Right, but yeah, he's. I, I would say he's probably best known for The Shining. Yeah. Um, and I think I think you might be right that it is likely. Sm- at least a bit of that is because of the uh, spotlight that Kubrick's movie put on put on the property as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I did. I I got such a feeling of just complete jealousy on Facebook the other day um, because uh, Michael Bailiff from uh, the Witching Season films, who we've uh, we've kind of collaborated with on. Sharktober and Irvington over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, uh, by the way, check out Witching Season films. It's, it's amazing. They do, um, The Witching Season, which is a kind of a horror anthology, uh, uh, YouTube series that is available on Amazon Prime Video as of this recording. But they just finished or are in the process of finishing filming their first feature length film that's a, a uh, based on one of their stories from the witching season called they, uh, they live inside us, which we screened the short film at Sharktober Irvington a year or two ago, uh, to, to very high acclaim from, from the audience. And it's also worth mentioning that the, uh, that the title they live inside us is based on a Stephen King quote, hmm. but I got such a feeling of just jealousy <laughs> because Michael from the witching season had posted on Facebook that, he and his wife uh, stayed the night at the Stanley Hotel oh, nice. in Estes Park. Uh, <clears throat> is it Colorado? Yeah, it's Colorado. Yeah, Estes Park, Colorado. Yeah, um, I, I was confused because because they uh, they're from Utah, but anyway, mm. um, and it was just I was like looking through the pictures that that he posted, and I was just like, God, I want to go there so bad. I want to just like I would look like I earlier this year I was like legitimately like looking up prices for like like plane tickets and like uh just to stay like one one or two nights at the stanley hotel which is of course the hotel that stephen king and his family stayed in uh that gave him the idea for the shining yeah um it's just oh god it's it's a beautiful beautiful place um but uh yeah were were there any visuals from that hotel used in the movie i don't think so okay um i can't remember 
Yeah, because I, I know in the movie, like it was like they built sets mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but they did film at some actual hotels. They did. I don't. I don't think they didn't. Uh, here's the thing that I think. I, I think that I'm right on this, and we'll know as we go through these these episodes. So the next episode, we'll get more clarification on this. But um, if I remember correctly. Um, the uh, Kubrick did not film anything at, at the Stanley Hotel, mm-hmm. but I want to say that the miniseries was filmed at the Stanley Hotel. Oh, really? Okay. I think. Um, okay. check out next episode, uh, the next two episodes, and we'll we'll get more clarification on that. Okay. Um, but anyway, I was so I was so jealous, and like uh, earlier this year, I had looked up like what it would take to like get there, and like I would have to fly into like Boulder and then rent a car and then like drive like 50 or 100 miles or so like yeah. a ridiculous amount of uh uh mileage uh and like i i was like i i could maybe do this if i plan it if i plan it right i could maybe do this but i was like it's essentially like i would just go to stay at a hotel for like two days and then go home mm-hmm. it would be like i i couldn't really justify it but yeah uh, It'd be fun to do if you like were visiting Denver for a while, yeah, or visiting Colorado, mm-hmm. um, smoking some weed or something, <laughs> <laughs> and you could just like make make a couple days of it or something. Yeah, that's what, it would be useful that way or whatever. Yeah, I think that that's kind of what uh, he was doing. I think they were like on a trip or something. They were just going through like mm-hmm. there, and they took a detour and stayed the night. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, just really, I want to do that. So that's on my bucket list eventually. So that'd be we'll, cool. We'll see. Um, but tiny, we're talking about The Shining today. Mm-hmm. So this novel is—I I've said it before on this podcast. I believe it's the first Stephen King novel I ever read. Okay. Um, and I've told this anecdote before, so I'll just kind of breeze past it. I read it in the middle of the day at home and like my my parents like came home or something and it's like the middle of the day and just them opening the door like just jolted me like i <laughs> jumped like so much uh because i was so wrapped up in the book mm-hmm. um was this one of the novels that you uh read from the library and that uh summer that you would bike to the library and back it actually wasn't Interesting. but the reading of my first reading of the shining was sort of inspired by becoming a Stephen King fan that summer because mm-hmm. that was like the summer before I think seventh grade okay. that I did that. And, uh, uh, we had an assignment for, uh, English class. Um, and like we had to pick a book and it was like a book report type thing, I think. Mm-hmm. And I chose the shining, um, and the teacher approved it. I don't know why I was 12. <laughs> I just, um, I just imagine your book report, like, little seventh grade tiny's book report like and the and the ghosts dressed up like animals yeah. and they were unmasking each other and <laughs> like they said that there was something that was going on after that but i didn't know what it was um yeah they were making babies i think <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so um that's what I yeah I read it, I read it for that um, and I was that's the last time I read it too that's, that is and that is nuts yeah first and last time I read it so um, when you read it in seventh grade mm-hmm. um, was th- that before I would imagine that you hadn't seen the movie right no I had not seen okay. the movie had not seen um, how did you feel about the book when you read it I mean I loved it it scared the crap out of me when mm-hmm. I was when I was a kid I really liked it uh, and I don't know why I waited so long to reread it mm-hmm. I, I I really don't I can't 
justify it. But um, like I, I think I said in earlier episodes of this podcast that it's been more than half of my life ago that I read it. Yeah, that is nuts. <laughs> that's not like it was literally 20 years ago that I read Jeez. it. So that's a strange uh, notion, I guess, that it's yeah. been 20 years since I read it. Um, but yeah, like it, it's one of those rare occasions where like I had something I had to read for school mm-hmm. um, that I, I like finished reading it way way before it was due or whatever because nice. i was just like so into it yeah um and like i remember specifically the the moment or the the scene chapter where danny goes into room 217 yes um I, like it was like i was like st- i stayed up late that it was like a school night mm-hmm. but i like ended up staying up late and reading that at like midnight which at the time was late <laughs> right. for for me and like it just i didn't sleep well that night because it was so scary like i was just in my room so with awesome. with my light with my light on reading it and it just yeah that was epically scary i i have a vivid memory of that <laughs> so and it holds up pretty well even yeah. As, oh, yeah as an adult um yeah like the um that passage in particular where he's going into room 217 and like he sees the bloated corpse in the in the uh the bathtub Mm -hmm. like the way that king writes it it feels like it's such an ethereal type of like dreamlike thing and just like i don't know the way that he describes it is just so out of this world in in a sense like it just feels like we're in this heightened reality and it's interesting because it's also from the perspective of a Mm five-year-old so that kind of heightens the kind of imaginative quality of it if that's a word i think yeah quality um it's um uh but yeah it's highly effective and i and i love the kind of i guess reversal or or the uh the twist on it when when jack goes in 217 because mm-hmm. it's it's different um for him um just and i just i love this book so much yeah um i remember so I've read this book probably this is probably my fourth time in my life reading it. Wow. Yeah. Um maybe fifth actually. But I remember the first time I read it was in around the same time as you described. Like uh, no no no, I think I think it was in high school at that time. Mm-hmm. I think it was like sophomore year. Um so like sophomore year and then uh the second time I read it was <laughs> this is fun. The second time I read it was when we were security guards. And I, I like the only time I had to wear, really read was when I was working overnight in an empty building. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like it wasn't a hotel or anything, but it was like it's it's a it's an office building. Um, and like I would just walk walk around this empty, dark, creepy building at night and like take breaks on my patrols and stuff and just read read passages and everything like i would think i was reading it on kindle at the time Mm. and like like i got to like room 217 in the in the book and it was just like it was chilling and scary and like it made me gave me this visceral like anytime i walked past like a door like i would think like oh shit like i i would get like just a tense feeling in in Mm -hmm. my in my gut um just uh, like I love that, like I kind of miss those. I, I kind of miss working nights, yeah, uh, like that, uh, especially because I didn't have anything to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, just I love that as kind of like additional ambiance for like horror writing that I would read. Yeah. Um. So I remember that, and then like the other like two or three times I've read it, it 
is now obviously it was with uh, Audible and just listening to the audiobook. Um, and I've like I've listened to it kind of at my leisure, just like kind of just on a whim. Mm-hmm. And this time for the podcast and on Audible, it's read by Campbell Scott, uh, which. God, his voice is perfect. Yeah, he did a great job. He really did. Um, it's just very kind of... He's got a very smooth uh, speaking voice that really um, captures the kind of psychosis of Jack Torrance, I think. Absolutely. And I think um, some of the his greatest work or some of his, uh, his best parts are when he's reading Danny because... Yeah. Danny's so like subdued, and uh, he's he's he has a very um, his demeanor is very much a he's like a people pleaser kind of like he yeah. wants to make his dad proud and whatnot and and stuff like that um, and so he's very uh, like kind of apathetic and very reserved but then in the moments like especially where he's like using his shine to call. Dick Halloran, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, Dick, please come, please, 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 we need you here, or whatever, and like, it's so bad, and it's scary, mm-hmm. or whatever, like, that was, it genuinely felt like a five-year-old yeah. who was in distress, like, it was very, like, just the the, the balance between those two, uh, those two emotions with, between, with a five-year-old were really well done on his part totally and and jack especially that was incredible because he um jack is just this this normal guy and he's very like when he's talking to wendy or um uh, danny he's very he's just a calm collected guy but then the 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 drastic change between that and when he loses his temper Mm -hmm. or when he goes full crazy at the end what he did with his voice was just terrific. I mean, totally. And in like, in like, it was actually like scary. Like the way he, at the end when Jack is just full crazy and essentially just nuts, and he's lost his mind totally, and he's, it's more than just like lost his tam- temper. He's 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 manic and and absolutely like bloodthirsty. Mm-hmm. Like that 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 gritty gravelly voice that he used was just perfect and like absolutely. like like, like kind of scary, frankly. Yep. Uh, totally agree. And so let's kind of dive into to the novel and by <laughs> let's dive into it by comparing it to the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but when you were reading it this time, since it's been so long since you first read it, did you did were you, uh, did you find yourself like kind of picturing stuff from the movie, or was it like how did the movie affect your reading of it this time around? Um. More so than I thought it would. Um, I think it's easy to picture Jack Nicholson in that, and as as Jack and uh, the the little kid from the movie as Danny. Yeah. Um. I. So so visually, yeah, I think all the visuals are there, which is the best part of the movie. Mm. The visuals. Uh, that's Stanley Kubrick's signature he's uh, right. never never lacks in that department with any of his movies mm-hmm. um but what really i have i had a much better memory of the movie than i did the book because right. i've seen the movie a few more times than i have the book read the book and i've seen it as an adult and stuff like that and so 
I think the biggest the biggest disparity between the two mm-hmm. is the characterization of of the three main characters. Yeah. Um in the movie Wendy and Danny are kind of reacting to Jack the whole time. Yeah, they're kind of like helpless characters. Right. It's the Jack Nicholson show in yeah. in, in the movie. And I understand that. But like I I really the, the for, to me the biggest shock was Wendy. I forgot how how well-rounded of a character she really is in the book and how she's not she's um she she's very much a woman who's reliant on her husband. She's she mm-hmm. doesn't work and she's um she's very much a damsel in the book, but she very very quickly discovers her inner strength mm-hmm. and her ability to you know how her maternal instincts trump that very quickly and she really becomes a person of action like when she especially when jack starts to fully lose it and she locks him in the pantry i think from that moment forward is such a huge jump for her character and such an incredible development on her her behalf that she becomes you know i think i think as equally interesting as Danny and Jack, as as far oh, as characters go, I think she was like that's that's what really blew me away is how nice. relevant and and uh, evolutionary her character is in the book, and how the movie just completely lost that. Like, yeah, um, I can't remember the actress's name. Oh, uh, uh, Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Um, she wasn't that great in the. I mean, I yeah. I didn't. I mean, as far as her being scared and stuff, I think she was fine. But like, I just remember some of the dialogue. She's just so. I'm not a fan of hers, but uh, yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I had trouble picturing her as I was reading the book. I pictured somebody else, and I, it, it was a generic person. It wasn't anyone specific. So um, yeah. I hate to say that because I, you know, it's, it's that there's a lot of famous production stories from that movie, and mm-hmm. one of them is that Stanley Cooper was really hard on her, and it's like right. one of the hardest things she ever did in her life for that was that performance, and like. I think I think she did did pretty well given all that, mm-hmm. um, but it, you know, if you don't have that context and you're just watching the movie objectively, I I don't really care for her performance a lot. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm the same way with Shelley Duvall in the movie. But <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about that next time. But um, yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, that's the biggest difference. And I understand if you're filming a movie, not a lot you can do to. Right. Um, characterize a five-year-old that's really that's really hard to do yeah and so much of the character of danny in the book is internal monologue and like thoughts and that's really hard to transfer to film absolutely that's so hard to do so like i i I forgive that quite a bit i understand Mm -hmm. how difficult that is um but that's i mean that's just why books are better (laughs) yeah as far as getting i mean if you want to boil it down to storytelling you know storytelling is always better in written form um, and this, the movie versus the book of The Shining is a, a great example of that. So, um, obviously the book is better and, and that's, that's almost always the case. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just the, the, the characterization was the biggest disparity for me. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll agree with that. It was, um, I, I really like in the book the way that Jack is, is written because he yeah. is, a character who's troubled he's a troubled character but it kind of contrasts that with uh the depiction by jack nicholson in the kubrick movie it's like and it's one of the reasons why 
King doesn't like the movie that much is that he's just out right from the outset. He's like, he just has that evil look about him. Right. Um, and maybe part of that is just Jack Nicholson. But, yeah. Uh, but like, it's just, that's the dem. It's from the start. He's already unhinged. And right. the way he's written in the book is he is someone who's trying to turn over a new leaf and trying to beat his alcoholism, but is succumbing to the, uh, persuasion of the hotel and what i really love well i'll save that for spoilers because we'll just kind of do a non-spoiler for for the book but um he's just drawn into this darkness that kind of consumes him throughout the by the end of the novel and it's just like i love that kind of slow slow draw of him uh succumbing to the um whims of the hotel right um well and really the hotel just exp- exploits his weakness totally as, as an alcoholic and a person with a really short temper mm-hmm. um and that's that's something that i appreciated about the book too is that i i kind of forgot about that i forgot how how he's he's really kind of i don't know if i'd use the word conquered his alcoholism right but he's he has it under control in, yeah. in the beginning of the movie and he's got he has a, a bad temper and there's there are several moments in the first half of the book, let's say, where Wendy and Danny get on his nerves a little bit, and we kind of get this internal monologue where he's like, this is fucking annoying or whatever, and he's got, uh, he gets a little upset, but he keeps it all internalized, and he basically has his temper and his alcoholism under control, Mm -hmm. but the hotel exploits that weakness and just makes it worse, and you see as, as it goes on that Wendy and Danny irk him more and more and he slowly and slowly he's slowly losing control more and more throughout and then eventually they completely turn him against them mm. and he's by the end he sees them as you know weaknesses that need to be wiped out or whatever right and, um corrected right so it's 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 really pretty tragic what happens to him it really is in um I'll I'll talk about that in spoilers too but um something that I really enjoyed about the about the book and thought was really it's kind of the i don't know it's kind of the issue i have with the popularism of stephen king that so much of the conversation surrounding stephen king is like oh he's a scary writer and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this podcast but here in the shining like the shining is arguably considered like his scariest novel Mm. um and people always equate it to the horror movie, The Shining, as well. And, like, that is out and out just horror set piece and everything. Yeah. The thing that I think gets kind of lost in the conversation surrounding The Shining as a property is the family drama, the family dynamic that's present in it. Because you have these three characters who are isolated and alone, and they have this troubled history like jack is a recovering alcoholic who uh who along with his friend al shockley were you know kind of uh dangerous alcoholics like they hit someone and i there were there was a hit and run where they hit someone while they were drunk driving and i don't think that's ever resolved or anything there, there's no that's just something that's up in the air mm-hmm. in jack's history and then also the history with Jack and Danny where Jack lost his temper and broke his arm and 
you have all of these like the these things working together and then like the troubled marriage between them because of the incident with Danny and how they've considered and talked about getting a divorce and just like that it's not like a broken family but it's like a it's a it's a sprained slash like slight fractured family so it's like slowly, recovering family yeah. yeah and it's like slowly just getting more and more tense as the book progresses and like you said, Wendy's characterization in the book is really good mm-hmm. because it kind of goes into that portion of it. Like she is kind of constantly thinking, like, okay, well, I can get if I can get Danny out of here, and we can go to my parents. And she's like, well, my parents are like she doesn't have a good relationship with her parents either, so that kind of is a stumbling block there. But mm-hmm. what I really love about this book is the way that it does that family dynamic and the way that it's as the whole as the as the hotel gets its gets its hooks into jack that family dynamic gets fractured even more and like when uh when danny goes into 217 and he's comes out of it and he is you know injured and everything that is the payoff it pays off so well the fractured dynamic of the family because wendy thinks that it that it was jack and jack freaks out and everything um it's just it's it's such a great dynamic at play um in the book definitely yep um so anything else before we go into spoilers because i think we're kind of we kind of already creeped in there a little bit a little bit yeah, yeah i didn't realize we were doing yeah we yeah. probably shouldn't we shouldn't have worried about it but yeah. yeah um anything else before spoilers um no, I think we can cover it all in spoilers, and I think anybody who's going to listen to this has probably read the book. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Has seen the movie and they're fine with it or something right. like that. You know. Yeah, this is one of those Stephen King properties that feels like you can't really spoil that much. Right. I think even people who haven't seen the movie or read the book, they're familiar enough with the story that they they're not worried about spoilers. Yep. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we're going to go into spoilers here in a second, but I did have some feedback. Um, before we go into spoilers, so I posted on Facebook, the Facebook page, uh, at facebook.com slash Tower Junkies Pod. I said, hey, we're going to record our review of um, The Shining, the novel, and we got one comment <laughs> from a good friend of the show, Robert, in Utah. And Robert says, I think the movie tainted the book for me. I've seen the movie so many times that that's how I picture The Shining. I enjoyed the book, but from what I could tell, there were only a few differences. I might need to listen to it again. Listening to books on a graveyard shift does, doesn't always work right. I tend to space out and forget what I just listened to. Excited to listen to Dr. Sleep, and I'm a big fan of Will Patton, so excited to hear it. Oh, does Will Patton narrate Dr. Sleep? He does. Nice. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm excited about. That's awesome. Um... Yeah, so thank you, Robert, for for chiming in there on the Facebook page. Um, any com- like any comments about about that comment? Um, that's interesting that the movie has tainted the book for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I mean, I guess it kind of has for me as well, and uh, to an extent, like I said, like visually, I picture uh, the sets and mm-hmm. everything that Stanley Kubrick came up with for the movie and I picture Jack Nicholson and the, the, the young child actor. I can't remember his name. Danny Lloyd. There you go. Um, yep. so I remember, I, I, I picture them. Um, so that, but I think that's kind of inevitable when you have a movie 
mm-hmm. for a, a popular movie for that's an adaptation of a novel. I think that's kind of inevitable. Um, but I don't know if it's tainted. That's a shame. That's a shame because yeah. I think, like I said, the the book is better than the movie. But uh, mm. that's interesting that it's it's. Uh, I wonder. I, I'd I'd be curious to hear him expand on that and be like, if okay. it's you know how much it's tainted it or if it's like he can't read the book anymore or something right. like that. Like I kind of wonder how bad it is. But nice. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll uh, I'll post more uh, Facebook posts like that and hopefully we'll we'll get more comments and everything cool. as we go through this little review series. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we get into actual spoilers, uh, just to clarify that uh, Stanley Kubrick filmed uh, the exteriors uh, scenes in The Shining at Timberline Lodge in Mount Hood, Oregon, mm. um, and I think that like it was a studio uh, studio set, and I think uh, let me see, oh, it was uh, Elstree Studios is where he filmed the interiors in uh, Hertfordshire, England. Right, I think I knew that. Yeah. Um, and I was right that the uh, 1997 miniseries uh, was filmed at the Stanley Hotel. Cool. Yep. So we're going to go into spoilers for The Shining novel uh, here in just a second. So I'm going to play a little bit of music here. And then once we get back, we're going to talk about spoilers for The Shining. So tiny. Uh, spoilers on mm-hmm. for the shining. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of big differences and omissions from the movie um, compared to the book. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to bring up is the wasp nest. Um, mm. That freaked me out so much. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that it was incorporated into the miniseries, which we'll talk about here in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. But the wasp nest, like, as I'm terrified of bees wasps okay like just they're they're terrifying to me i don't know if i knew that about you oh really yeah yeah one of my favorite well not favorite things but one of my one of my great like mind what great mind jesus christ uh (laughs) one of my one of my neuroses that's the word (laughs) (laughs) uh one of my neuroses is that i've never been stung by a bee like oh wow yeah so like i've and i've always been just deathly afraid of it um So, like, I'm always, like, terrified of bees. I think that stems from just being creeped out by bugs, too, and I just feel like bees are, yeah. like, flying bugs with stingers. That's fair. Yeah, but it's funny, because, like, as a kid, I was a f- terrified of being stung by bees or wasps or anything, especially wasps, because they were just terrifying. Because um, they're dicks. Because they're dicks, yeah. and they don't die when they sting you. Right. Uh, at least with a bee, I can be like, hey, you know, you're fucking dead. Yeah. Um, but... I was so terrified of getting stung by a wasp or a bee as a kid because I was terrified of the pain. But now I'm terrified of being swung, swung, stu- stung by a wasp or a bee because I don't know if I'm allergic to them. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, so that's that's my fear now as an adult. So. Well, typically, even if you are allergic, it would take, like, a lot of bee stings to, like, kill you. Oh, I've, se- I've seen my girl. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of a, um, the allergy's not as Mm-hmm. I don't want to diminish anyone's pain or issues, mm-hmm. but it's not quite as extreme as some people might think. Like, sure. I think my girl sort of tainted that yeah. that allergy. Like, it's you have to get stung a ton of times, even if you're I allergic. Think part of that's one of the reasons why I'm terrified of it. Also, yeah, because of, yeah. I saw my girls as a as a young boy. Um, but the uh, it's really not that bad. Okay, being stung by a bee. Good, 
It's happened yeah. to me multiple times. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've never been stung by a wasp or a hornet, though, which I hear is more painful. Yeah, I can't. They're bigger and scarier. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, anyways. Anyway, um, so that had a particular relevance to me in reading the book. Okay. Um, and I just, I love, like, as a set, des- or as a, as, a, as a set piece in the novel, like, that's terrifying because it's, like, okay, he's, like, he uses the bug bomb to kill the wasps and everything. And then just the thought of, like, having this hollowed out wasp nest to give to your kid as, like, a toy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a it's an interesting gesture. It's kind of weird, but to have the hotel like resurrect them, or or cre- recreate them to to you know sting them and everything is just like that's such a terrifying set piece. Like how yeah. did you when reading it this time around? How did you feel about it? I had I had completely forgotten about it from the first time I read oh, it. Nice. I didn't remember it at all. Um, yeah, it didn't have quite the relevance for me uh, because it's not. Unlike yourself, I'm not a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Try to tiptoe around that. No, but it doesn't. It doesn't frighten me to that extent. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was a really good. Uh, it was a really good set piece or or uh, occurrence, mm-hmm. kind of an introduction to how the hotel works. I think, um, yeah. which I sort of have. You know, having read it before and seen the movie, I have some insight into the fact that this is a. I mean, like a conscious or a, a prescient mm-hmm. hotel that has, you know, it's not just it's not just a hotel. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I kind of got that right off the bat. Um, I don't know if, if a first time reader would necessarily get that, but right. um, but yeah, it was uh, it was scary and and really, um, I kind of liked just uh, differences between reading it as a kid and reading it now, but mm. I like to hold, I like Jack's reaction. It's such a dad reaction. He's like, I'm going to take pictures and sue those, and sue yeah. those bastards. I'm thinking like five grand per sting or whatever. I was yeah. like, that is such a dad thing to do. Totally. Go get my camera, Wendy. Like, that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, that was entertaining to me. That's why oh, yeah. I remembered about it most of all. But, and it's also an interesting point because you see how Danny just kind of, Danny just kind of, he's a people pleaser, so he just kind of rolls with the punches and Mm -hmm. he wants to, like, be tough for his dad, you know, and stuff like that. And, like I said, that's a piece of characterization that I had kind of forgotten from the novel Mm -hmm. that's, that's absent from, from the movie a little bit, at least to an extent. Um, it's not as well realized in the movie. So that was, that moment and that occurrence was pretty key to developing that characterization that I, I thought was great. I totally agree. Like when he tells Wendy, when Danny tells Wendy, like that, daddy says, we're going to sue those fuckers or whatever. Yeah, he says. Right. I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's like you said, he's, he just wants to please his parents. He wants to make his parents happy. And I think that stems from ha- him having the shining where he knows how, uh, unhappy they are and everything. Like that's, that's a, natural reaction to that is that he wants them to be happy so he wants to make them happy and everything it's just uh, like the way that king writes a five-year-old is just really really strong and poignant well a five-year-old who's forced to um deal with adult or extreme emotions because i think i think part of the shining is the actual concept of shining Mm -hmm. is is very much Kind of like Palm Clementine's character in, yeah. in uh, like she, he's kind very of, empath- you're very empathetic. like, a, right, right, you're like an empath. And so yeah. you kind of absorb what people are feeling. Mm. And, and you, re- it's not just reading someone's mind. It's very, 
I think you take on what they're feeling. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, as a five-year-old, you don't understand emotions like betrayal and right. uh, sexual attraction and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You don't, you don't understand that. And it's like <laughs> yeah. a five-year-old shouldn't have to. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, that probably messes you up a bit. Yeah. And that reminds me of the, the part in the, but one of the, <laughs> a really great bit of comic relief is when he, he sees the woman at the hotel and, yeah. and like shines that she says that she wants to get into the bellboy's pants or something. Right. And he's like, and he asks Dick, like, that what was, does he mean when he, she wants his why, pants? Why would she want his pants? <laughs> yeah, I, that was very charming. That was um, really funny. It was good. Yeah. But also with the hornet's nest, uh, or the wasp nest, um, that is also a great, like, it's it's early enough in the book that it's like an introduction to the fractured family um, aspect that I talked about in non spoilers, mm-hmm. but it's like it's such a good way to just like introduce that wedge that the hotel is gonna forge throughout this family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I really appreciated it for that. Um, yeah, it's kind of a slow build and and everything. Um, the other big difference um is the uh the topiary animals right which <laughs> when reading it this time i was like uh i was like wow okay so um like i i remember this being a part of the of the shining novel but i think this like i just i just equated it this time uh, to the weeping angels and Doctor Who. Yeah, I was like, oh, Doctor Who kind of you know took an odd from Steve. I I wonder if that was a an intentional thing when they created the weeping angels. But, yeah, I wonder. Um, but uh, how do you feel about the topiary animals? Um, in the book, um, pretty good. I didn't really remember that much about them. I just remembered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had forgot. I thought they were. Um, I thought they were more. Um, what am I trying to say? I, I thought that Danny was the one who who discovered them. Okay, as opposed to Jack. Um, I I completely forgot about that. Um, and so that was kind of. I remember it being scarier in the in the book than it actually was. Okay, because I think, you know, as a twelve year old, I was more a little bit more in tune with Danny than I was with Jack. Sure. Um, and so I thought that. I remember Danny being terrified and I thought that Danny was scared of the topiary animals. Yeah. Um, but that was just, a, just, I misremembered basically. Um, so yeah, that was just, I, I kind of forgot about that or like I didn't see it coming as well. I, I remembered that the topiary animals move and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't as, it was, it was eerie more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had forgotten that like at the end when, when Dick Halloran, uh, rides up there. He's essentially attacked yeah. by them. I was like, "Holy shit! I didn't remember this at all." I forgot that's, about that too. That's crazy. And I was like, "No wonder they didn't put it in the movie. How the hell were they going to do that back yeah. in you know with 1977 <laughs> technology or right. 1980, 1980. Yeah, 1980. Yeah. 1980 technology? They didn't have CGI, so that would have probably looked pretty shitty. Yeah, to try to capture that. So. Uh, spoiler for the miniseries review, but it doesn't look that good in '97. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I don't really remember that miniseries, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, the the topiary animals like it's it's a very interesting like I found it particularly frightening, um, mm. more so than a hedge maze. Honestly, okay. Um, as a concept, I find it more frightening um, that these animals come to life or these these plant animals come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's just like <sighs> the way that it's described like uh um i i just i was really in tune with with the horror aspect of that mm. um so yeah and and yeah uh i don't blame kubrick for not including them because mm. i like you said i don't see how you can incorporate that in, in 1980s in the 1980s yeah i still not being hokey i still liked the the hedge maze in the movie i think um mm. I think it also one of the reasons why I like it, um, having seen the movie as an adult, is I think it uh, it kind of amplifies the the idea of isolation because mm-hmm. um, you know you get lost in there easily. Um, which isolation is a plot device that I've mentioned many times is one of my yeah. favorite plot devices in a story. I, I really enjoy isolation, mm-hmm. um, and then this this novel and the movie. Um, use that to great effect, but I, I feel like it's, I feel like I feel it more in the movie than I do in the book actually, which is interesting. kind of interesting. I think it's just maybe the visuals, mm-hmm. um, really bring it home, but obviously, I mean, it's, it's brought up tons of times in the, in the book. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that's a drawback in the movie is that Dick Halloran, when he comes to the rescue of Danny and Wendy, he just kind of shows up. Like he flies, he flies from Florida and you see him get to like Denver or Boulder or whatever. Mm. And then you see him renting a car and then you don't see him again until he's at the hotel where in the novel, there's a real, you get to experience his journey and it really illustrates just how isolated they are and just how, how treacherous it, treacherous it is to reach or leave the hotel and, and get to civilization. Mm. So, I mean, it's in that, respect it's it's realized really well but um i i just think the visuals um and and i think i think it's the snow too like the in the obviously it's mentioned in the in the book quite a bit but uh just the like the drifting snow that they do in in the movie uh, on the exterior shots is really eerie and like um it's just there's something about it that like it just it it causes tension i think totally because um, snow, totally. snow is just such an inconvenience but mm-hmm. when it gets to that level it's dangerous absolutely you know, it's and i yeah. really like your comparison or your analysis of the hedge maze in the movie and everything because that is that is very true it is very yeah. isolating i don't know if that was a an intentional thing if that's what they're going for but i feel like anything i picked up on it kubrick does in the movie is yeah intentional. that's true <laughs> so i think that, that was definitely the case yeah but yeah, like the Dick Halloran's um, journey to the Overlook in in the book. It's funny because when I read it as a kid, I or as a teenager, I kind I maybe I'm misremembering, but I or maybe I'm just thinking that maybe this is probably something that teenage Matt would have thought, but that at the time felt like dragging it down. Oh really? <laughs> like, I just want to see you know Jack Butcher's family hmm. um but like reading it as an adult it's like I, I i totally got that like the way that it accentuates the isolation of the family and how how just how much effort it takes to get just to get to the overlook like, right dick halloran has no idea what he's going in what he's getting into mm-hmm. um and i love the way that it's um that it's it's described like like him getting just knocked out with the with the rope mallet right um and like the way like there's little bits and pieces as the book progresses that he's like it's like he's he is concussed essentially 
um, throughout yeah. the rest of the book. And it's like the way that King writes that is just really well done. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not like overt or anything. It's not like he's, he's stumbling around or anything, but like when you get inside that character's head, it's like, it's, it's kind of fractured a little bit or yeah, fragmented. Cloudy. Yeah. And it's just, it's really well done in terms of writing. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of, um, Jack's meltdown and everything and his, the seduction of the hotel? Yeah, that was, um, again, that's sort of missing from the movie. I think Mm -hmm. if I haven't watched the movie in a while either, but I, I do have a better memory of it. Um, I feel like, I feel like in the movie, he just goes crazy. Yeah. Whereas in the book, he kind of has a goal. Yeah. Like it's, uh, he has to. I don't know, kind of, he wants to be a part of the club, essentially, mm. um, and they seduce him, the The hotel seduces him into that, um, and I, I like that better than the movie. I think it's, I think the movie's great in that respect, like, I think it's scary, and, and it's, it's f- frankly fascinating to watch Jack Nicholson you know, Perform. fall into that. Yeah. And go, yeah. go crazy. It's great to watch. And it's, it's, it's great theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what happens in the novel is a little more interesting. Absolutely. And, and maybe, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word realistic because <laughs> right. we're talking about a, essentially a conscious hotel, which doesn't make yeah. any sense, but you know what I'm saying? You know, it's the, it's a, it's a more nuanced kind of progression. Nuanced. That's a great word for yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's, it's more, it's, it's more interesting, frankly. And it's, yeah. um, it's, it's a better, a better way to get, to get to where the movie gets, or, you know what I'm saying? It's a better way to get to that ending. I think, um, yes, really well done. And, and, and again, like I said, um, tons tons of credit to Campbell Scott like that oh, yeah. the, like I said just the difference he has such a like hey hey doc how you doing like it's such a normal dad voice right and then in the end he's just pure grit and just anger and come take your medicine that's just yes. so he did a great job phenomenal and I bet his voice was just I bet his throat was hurting because oh, yeah. of all like the the grumbling and yelling he had to do it always it it boggles my mind just what the what just in just this is a tangent but what the production process must be like to record an audiobook. Yeah. Because, uh, like, we just sit here and we bullshit on the microphone for a couple hours and then right. like, release it. It's just, like, I can't imagine, like, the production of... Like, it is a performance. And, uh, oh, absolutely. Through and through, it's a performance. But, like, just in terms of, like... Like, I, I can't... As someone who produces audio content for the internet, <laughs> I can't imagine the production value that goes into doing an audiobook, like, setting aside, like, like when to record, like, what what parts and how to direct it. Like I can't, right. I can't fathom it, but me either. Yeah. But the seduction of Jack Torrance by the hotel is so gripping to me. Um, I've, I think I've probably said it on this podcast before, but I love the way that it's seducing him for his like writer instincts. Like it's showing him the history of the hotel, like the, uh, the records and everything. And I love how kind of an, kind of a complete dick he is to Ullman because he hates Ullman. Yeah. Uh, when he calls me, he's like, I'm going to write a book and expose everything about this little hotel. And <laughs> um, just, it's such an interesting, because that's a good way to kind of show his unhinged kind of frame of mind. Right. To an extent. But at that point, um, he hasn't lost it yet. Exactly. He's it's still, a window into he's that. still very much in control. He just feels like it's a justified act. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I just love, 
I, I love that idea. Like I remember, like <laughs> I remember just thinking like how kind of unnerving it is, like having the history of it, and it's kind of different from. Uh, it's, okay, I'll I'll say this. So it's interesting because um, I've read I've heard on like other podcasts that it kind of analyzed King that it's interesting to read the first handful of books that he had published because it's very much a uh, kind of an interesting progression um, as as his public publications uh, come through uh, come come about and this was the first book I read of King okay but so like if you look at his bibliography like you have Carrie Salem's lot rage the shining um, and then eventually way down there number 22 is it but um, so like Carrie is just kind of like a town with the central focus focus of these teenagers and particularly Carrie White. And then Salem's Lot is a town that's more town-wide and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then The Shining is just a complete entity of a hotel. Um, it's just interesting that it's like he's creating these monsters in these different, different ways. Um, and I think in another – like other – books that he had was like Cujo's a monster kind of thing. And it kind Mm -hmm. of all leads up to it being the ultimate monster story of his. I don't know where I was going with that, but um, the seduction of, of Jack Torrance is really great in the book. And I just, I, I love the kind of reveal or the, um, the way that it's played with that. It's like they, and I don't feel like it's demonstrated or even in the movie. I can't remember, but the way that it's kind of revealed that like Jack is, wants to be the chosen one. He wants to, he's, he believes he is like being groomed for, for lack of a better word, management for the hotel. Right. <laughs> um, where, whereas he's really a means to an end that they really want Danny. For yeah. His shining abilities. I right. Guess. Right. Um, I, how did you feel about that aspect of it? Did you, how did you feel about it? I had really forgotten about that mm-hmm. completely. That the the hotel was actually after Danny, um, which is again I think lost in the movie, or mm-hmm. it's not in the movie at all. Yeah, I don't remember if it's communicated really at all. I don't think it is because, like in, you said, uh, it's it's the Jack Torrance show, right? Right. Um, and and and, and, and what's cool about that aspect of the book is that I think it kind of makes. In in a way, Danny is really the main character of the book. Yeah, I mean, it's it, everything is focused through the lens of, ja- or a lot of it is focused through the lens of Jack Torrance. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Danny is kind of the main character. I mean, it's uh, he's the most important character, I would say, because like I said, that's what the yeah. hotel's really after. Um, and he, you know, that's the reason why Dick Halloran is such a important character in the book is that he's an adult who also has the ability to shine. Yeah. Um, but he tells the audience through dialogue and through, uh, you know, exploration and, and stuff like that of the, of the novel that Danny is way more powerful, if you will, right. with that ability than he is. And so it, 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 it amplifies how and demonstrates how powerful Danny is essentially mm-hmm. um, and it just it makes him so much more important than I rem- remembered yeah. I, just, I had completely forgotten about that and it really I loved it I thought it was fantastic if you just think about the implications if the the hotel did get their hands on his abilities and you know if in a sense this kid would become a ghost in a way yeah. or at least his consciousness would however you want to describe yeah. you know uh, 
ethereal things like that. Right. Um, this poor five-year-old would essentially be held captive by this hotel mm-hmm. essentially for eternity. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's terrifying. Yeah, 100%. And what do you think was the ultimate goal of the Overlook? Like, why did they want his why did they want Danny for his shining capabilities and everything? Was it to to ensure that the spirits of the hotel and the, the history of the hotel like lives on, like utilizing that power to like let it live on in in eternity? Or was there something else communicated that I just missed? I guess so. I don't think there's ever explicit explicit um desires that are laid out. Mm-hmm. They the, their goal was laid out that they want Danny and that his abilities would be valuable but i don't know to what extent same here and i love the book for that i really do but you can kind of run with that yeah i mean you can think you know okay well essentially the hotel would have the ability to shine yeah and it already has the ability to kind of manipulate which we can talk about this more but mm-hmm. i had completely forgotten about the fact that when that dick halloran lives and sort of gets them out of there but they yeah. stop at that shed first mm-hmm. and he kind of starts to get like coaxed or uh seduced a little bit by the hotel and almost you know he almost goes down that path that jack was on Mm -hmm. um imagine if the hotel had the shine it could attract all these people it would almost be like um it would almost be like the dark tower Mm -hmm. where um you know they're in in the, the kala they're collecting all these oh yeah you know these people who have these abilities and mm-hmm. stuff like that you know that's it would almost be like that that's it's yeah. sort of an extension of that story and then they'll make um, a shitty movie where they refer to <laughs> uh refer to their tell uh, telepathic abilities as a shine yeah yeah um, um let's, I, let's not go down that road let's not um but yeah like the implications of that like i said you can let your imagination kind of run with that it would almost like it almost like be like the overlook hotel would be like a beacon to attract people to it and do whatever the hell they want with them. And I love that. And I, and I love that that's not, like you said, it's it, like we both said, it's kind of open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it for that because otherwise it would put, it would double down on just stakes. Like it would, it would create, like if, if he had created this scenario where it's like, Oh, they want Danny because they want his ability so that they can bring in people and kill them and everything or, or like it'll be bring about like so much death and destruction and everything. Like no, it's just in the book. It's communicated that they want Danny and he has a strong shining ability, and that's all we get. And we just leave that up to interpretation. I just mm. I love the book for that because otherwise it would just put unnecessary stakes in a uh, in a in a story that was already uh, intense. Mm-hmm. What is she doing? Mm-hmm so pretty anyway um so yeah I, I love it for that um let's see what else can we talk about in spoilers um the boiler <laughs> yeah the boiler yeah i did remember that and that the mm. hotel blew up um one of my big pet peeves in pop culture uh which can be a new segment on the podcast pop, <laughs> pet peeves in pop culture yeah but uh there's an episode of friends from like in the early days of the tv show friends where uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, where Rachel and Joey, uh, like, uh, okay, the scenario is that Rachel gets something out of the, out of Joey's freezer and finds a copy of The Shining, and she takes it out and is like, why is there a copy of The Shining in the freezer? And then he said, oh, I was reading it and I got scared, so I put it in the freezer, <laughs> um, which is which is great. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, they the plot of the episode is that they decide like she's like I don't she doesn't understand how it can be like that freaky and everything. So he has her read it and sh- and he reads th- uh, Little Women. Uh, which is her favorite book, mm-hmm. and so they read. And as the as the story progresses, they get uh, more into each book and everything. And then <laughs> at the end of the episode, toward the end of the episode, they have some kind of fight or something. Or she accidentally spoils uh, Little Women, and he intentionally spoils the ending of The Shining. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, um, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says he does say like the the. Uh, uh, Jack ends up in in uh, in the hotel, and the boiler explodes and and kills the father and kills him. And one of my big pet peeves is that like on the internet and stuff, like if you read trivia for like that particular episode, they're like, uh, well, he uh, Joey spoils The Shining, but it's actually the movie version and not the book. And I was like, no, it's not because he says no. the boiler explodes. Like, right? Like, like that's not like that's inaccurate trivia. That never happens in the movie. No. Yeah. Um, but. Uh yeah, I do <laughs> I do I do like that it kind of a small tangent even more so than the tangent I'm already on. Um the <laughs> uh when Rachel uh gives away a major spoiler in Little Women, uh Joey gets shocked and like sad and everything and then Ross uh uh or she's like he's like is is that really what happens and then uh, Rachel says something and then Ross looks at her and is like, he's asking if you just spoiled the only book he's ever loved that didn't star Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I don't know. I, I like that line. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, the whole boiler thing, the kind of ticking time bomb mm-hmm. of that. And then also I want to highlight the the moment when they're on, I think they're on the third floor and, and uh, Jack is, the Jack thing is haunting Danny and, and trying and going after him. Um, there's a moment that this isn't, I wish that Kubrick had incorporated this in some way. Um, but there's a moment where Jack comes back and he like tells him like, get out of the, get out of the hotel. Like it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm right. Like there's a, a slight reprieve where Jack comes back, which is hard. It was like kind of heartbreaking, very heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, that's one of the biggest in, uh, most emotionally intense moments of the book for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just really good. So how'd you feel about the whole climax of the book and, and the boiler blowing up? I prefer it very much to the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, way better than the movie. Although I think there's an eeriness to the idea in the movie that the hotel survives. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me take that again. Cause I'm going through puberty. Sure. <coughs> I on anth- on anthology, my voice kept cracking, and I just I just ran with it, and I was like, my voice keeps cracking. I prom- I'm going to hit puberty someday. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. I think there is an eeriness to the ending in the movie where the hotel essentially survives and continue continues, mm-hmm. presumably to haunt people and do what it does. Um, so there's there is something to that, but I I just prefer the conclusiveness or whatever. Uh, uh, how conclusive it is in the, in the book. And uh, it's, I think it's a little more happy in that regard, more of a happy ending um, in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, they make it to, they move to Maine and right. they're friends with Dick and, and all that stuff. And Danny's doing better. Um, but yeah, the whole, the, the, the actual climax is really, really satisfying. And I just, I, I loved the, 
the ticking time bomb of the boiler, like you said, mm-hmm. I kind of, I almost wish it was re- referenced or mentioned a few more times yeah. to where it would actually kind of be like a ticking clock, right? but it's more like Danny kind of remembers about it mm-hmm. or something like that. And then like half a chapter later, 10 pages later, it blows up or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, but it's still kind of a surprise, like, oh crap, yeah, the boiler, I forgot all about the boiler. Right. Um, which of course I had remembered it from when I read, read it the first time, but. Yeah. You'll remember the thing your father forgets or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, yeah. There you that go. Nice yeah. Awesome. Um, but yeah, that was super satisfying. And, and again, I had forgotten about the whole part where I think it was Dick Halloran when the hotel explodes, he sees like a, Oh yeah, a darkness or a blackness sort of escape, like an entity. Yeah, um, yeah. and I think he said it looked like a swarm of wasps. Yes, um, that was so great that I had completely forgotten about that, and I was like, it's it's literally like something was occupying the wall. The the evil or the darkness in that mm-hmm. hotel was literally occupying the structure. Yep, and was a physical thing that was like occupying the structure, and I kind of having. When I read that moment in the book, I was like, I hope that darkness occupies something else and we get another story yeah. from Stephen King. I don't know if that's what Dr. Sleep is. I don't know. I, I, don't know I know almost nothing about Dr. Sleep. Right. Same. Um, I know some things, but for the most part, nothing. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I kind of hope that's a thing. Like yeah. that, that was a really cool part of the story that I completely forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of made me think of, uh, uh, Dick Halloran pops up in It. It, yeah. As a young man. In the flashback? And, yeah, it made me think of... Because in, in the flashback in It, he's a young man and there's a fire. Mm-hmm. And he sees an entity, um, the entity from It. And it sort of made me think of that. And it would have been cool. Obviously, you know, It was written years after uh, The Shining. But it would have mm-hmm. been cool if he... Those two moments seemed linked or seemed similar to me. I, I don't know why. Um, Dick, Dick Halloran coming to literally setting his eyes on evil. Yeah. You know what I'm yep. saying? Seeing a physical representation of something evil. He sees a, does he see like a giant bird? That what does he see in right. it? I think it's like a flying, like a giant bird flying away. That sounds right. I, don't I can't remember, but it may yeah. be, I have, I've only read it once and it was mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, those 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 two scenes that that's what came to mind when I read that, mm-hmm. um, and I just I loved that juxtaposition or just you know as as a fan of Stephen King, yeah, making that link was was fun and and like I said, I hope that that darkness pops up somewhere else. Maybe it has. I don't know. Maybe he yeah. put, he has it in another book, and I just don't know about it. But um, we'll find out eventually. We will. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Uh, probably. <laughs> as long as we keep doing this. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, anyways, I just that was a g- really good ending. Uh, Great. Totally. Ending. Totally agree. Yeah. And kind of the final thing, we can kind of start winding down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony. Uh, yeah, we haven't mentioned we haven't that at all. About that at all. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about it? it's the like? The Shining and Tony in The Shining. Um, sort of an interesting plot device. I think it's it was more of more than anything. It was a means for the adults to kind of understand how special Danny is, and yeah. that he has he has an uh, an ability kind of to personify it a, a little bit. Right, right. But it's sort of I feel like. 
it's it was sort of an empty other than that as far as the character characterization of Danny, I feel like it was sort of an empty thing. Like it didn't I don't think it really went anywhere. Yeah. It was all like it was like a Tony was like a means for foreshadowing, which I'm not a fan of foreshadowing hardly Same. at all. I I don't care for it. Um and and it was just, you know, Danny be careful and like that's all yeah. it, that's all it was and it really wasn't that I mean it's it's cool that he can he has that ability or whatever and mm. I think it was it demonstrated just how special he is in that regards. Right. Um, but I just, I didn't care for it as much as I thought I would. Um, yeah, that's all I really have to say about it. I, I, I read some stuff. Yeah. I was reading some research online about mm. the book and the movie a little bit and some trivia. And I, d- someone said that Tony is, Danny's future self talking to him. Yes, and I don't is, know if that's what if that's what Doctor Sleep is. N- that's the plot of Doctor Sleep. I don't think so. Is it expressed in the book that it's him? No, it okay. is something that I think stems from the miniseries, which King. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, it's and that's an in, that's an intriguing concept. Yeah, it is. But. It's not explored as full. Like if it, if that was like a big point of the story, mm-hmm. it would have landed more with me. Like if it was in the book at all, yeah, or was a significant part of the miniseries, it would have landed for me a lot better than it did. Well, and if he has that ability, why is it so vague? Yeah, exactly. Like you know, he's obviously an incredibly powerful shiner, uh, yeah. whatever you want to call him. Um, so you would think that if he has the ability to send messages from the future to his young self, it would be pretty damn clear what he's trying to convey. Even if it's an adult trying to talk to a five-year-old, you would think he could, I don't know. And and there's a very interesting moment where at the end, I think it's in the the denouement as opposed to the climax, is that Danny sort of admits to himself that he knew that that was going to happen or that he knew that going to the Overlook Overlook was really dangerous and that it was going to end badly which mm. I thought was a really cool moment that I didn't remember at all um, from when I read it previously. Um, but right. I thought that was just, you know, it's it's one of those moments where it's a five-year-old coming to a realization that a five-year-old should not have to come to. Exactly. That he made a huge mistake or whatever, that he put himself in that situation and he's essentially experiencing deep regret, I think. Right. Um, that he's he feels responsible in a, in a way for his father's death and things like that. And that's... Mm-hmm again heartbreaking and sad um but yeah anyways i, I got i got a little off track there but, no that's fine um I'm, I'm curious to see i really want to read dr sleep and yeah and watch the miniseries and expand on some of the ideas that the, some of the trivia and stuff that i read for the book so yeah that's why i'm i'm really excited about this whole project we're doing me too um so yeah so uh yeah, that is basically our our review of The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, so tiny since this is a novel review in our uh, podcast here, um, we have our top nineteen King novels mm-hmm. listed on the show notes of every episode as well as on the website. Um, so I'll I'll kind of go first and and talk a little bit about it. So I had listed on my top nineteen The Shining at number seven. Mm-hmm. Um. To refresh everyone's memory, uh, number one was eleven twenty two sixty three. Number two was it. Number three was misery. Number four was the stand. Number five was a drawing of the three. Number six was the dark tower. Seven, and number seven was 
the Shining, number eight, Pet Cemetery, and so on and so forth. Um, check that out at the show notes on on the podcast. Um, so I I think I would want after listening to it this time I I want to put the Shining in in at number five. Okay. Um, above. Dark Tower 2 and Dark Tower 7. Wow, so you'd have no Dark Tower movies That's in your top five. That's what I'm thinking of. And, like, <laughs> I kind of want to reorganize that because I want to put, like, Drawing of the Three a little bit higher. Okay. Um, so I may need to revamp the whole system. Um, <laughs> but, because, I mean, I do have all seven. Um, I, I don't have the uh, uh, Win Through the Keyhole on my top 19. But I do have all seven Dark Tower books on it, but... I don't know. King has just so many like incredible stuff. Oh yeah, it's really hard to. I don't think there's anything wrong with your list. I think it's great. I'm just mm-hmm. a little surprised at that. That's I, all. I am too. Uh, yeah. Whenever we get around to doing our Dark Tower episodes, um, I'll probably juggle it there. But as of right now, my top five are going to be eleven twenty two sixty three, It, Misery, The Stand, and The Shining. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, Tiny, how does your how does it rank with yours? Does it stay the same, or and where was it? Um, where is it now? So, presently, I have the Dark Tower book seven at number one, followed by Misery, then the Stand, and then I have the Shining at number four. Mm-hmm. I I think I want to just keep it there. Nice. I don't think yeah. I want to move it. I think it it it's held a good up. Spot. Yeah, it it held up. Um, great. I, actually, I think it. I think it kind of it, it definitely exceeded my memory of it, which yeah. was kind of destined to happen. Sure. Like I said, I read it twenty years ago as a twelve year old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I initially put it so high on that list because strictly because of obviously it's a great book, mm-hmm. but just the vivid memory I have of staying up late that school night and reading about Danny going into room two seventeen. Yeah, and like I think the rest of that book I read it in like less than a week. Mm-hmm. Which, when I was 12 years old, that was an accomplishment. Right. Um, not as big of a deal. Like, I read... For this uh, episode, when we were recording about it, I read mm-hmm. the book in a week, basically. Yeah. Which, I only listened to it, like, as I was commuting for work. God, that's awesome. And so, that's really fast. Yeah. Normally, I would have thrown in a podcast or two, and it would have mm-hmm. taken two to three weeks. Um, just radio time or whatever, but I was so into the book. It was like, okay, I got a half hour till I get to this other place. I'm going to just listen to the shining a little bit. And, um, I was super into it. Um, so I think, I think basically this reread of it as an adult solidified my number four choice. Like that was sort of a, um, sort of a predictive choice for me to put it at number four. Mm-hmm. on my list because i was like i'm pretty sure i love that book and i yeah. but all i have is the context of reading it as a 12 year old right um so it was sort of a predictive placing at at, at the number four slot but i think i think nice. i want to keep it there and Good. i think the stand misery and dark tower seven placing ahead of it are all pretty good the stand and misery i both need to re- well, i need to reread all of yeah them. it's um, funny because i i relatively recently re-listened to the stand mm-hmm. and i may need to juggle that a little bit maybe i'll put the dark tower 2 maybe i'll swap drawing of the three and the stand okay but as of right now i'm i'm happy with where where it is on the list that's cool that's yep. cool um so yeah i think that'll do it for this episode then um next time we're going to talk about stanley kubrick's 
The Shining movie from 1980. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're going to do the miniseries and then Dr. Sleep, the novel, and then Dr. Sleep, the movie that comes out November 3rd or 6th or something like that. Awesome. Uh, so very excited. It's cool and that we can have like a whole, like you said, like a whole series about yeah. this. We're going to have five episodes. It's so awesome. That's great. And yeah. we're, we're recording them in so, with so much head time. <laughs> I know. Very good. Yeah, we can release it all sequentially. Yes, and, I'm yeah. so excited about that. Um, and yeah, to kind of, uh, do we want to talk about the doctor sleep trailer or just leave it leave it be i'd say leave it be for now okay yeah yeah uh will do so yeah that'll do it for this episode of tower junkies once again um if you want to help support the show and get access to special recordings specifically for patreon supporters uh go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer uh minimum minimum donation of one dollar per month and you'll get access to that rss feed um basically the if if you don't (laughs) i kind of feel like i've all i've i've taken a a little bit of liberties with with describing like the the actual patreon thing because i just kind of assume that everyone knows how rss feeds work yeah (laughs) but basically you'll get a special link that's tailor-made just for you if you support us on patreon that you copy that into your podcatcher uh like go to add podcast just copy the link it'll show up with the special patreon um feed and right there we have we have tons of stuff we have like 35 episodes as of this recording um by the time this episode actually airs we'll have over 40 um Mm. there for you it's all just it's fun fun stuff with some uh fun stuff with like occasional like actual pertinent content (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's it's a lot of fun so uh check that out at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer also check out our other shows uh, the obsessive viewer over at obsessiveviewer.com and also anthology at anthologypod.com uh where tiny like a few months ago at this point you were a guest on anthology to talk about the twilight zone season one of uh jordan peele's twilight zone yeah uh super fun episode i Mm -hmm. released it and it's it's a lot of fun nice so thank you for coming on for that Mm -hmm. so yeah so having said all that we're it is uh still early morning so we we've got our whole day ahead of us yeah exciting yep um so (laughs) all right well thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time and oh uh i forgot the sign i forgot damn it (laughs) (laughs) uh long days and pleasant nights and may you have twice the number there we go And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. I was thinking about that the other day, that it's funny because when you... (laughs) And this is such a 90s stand-up comedy type of routine. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The difference between dogs and cats... (laughs) <laughs> are, uh when you play with a dog and like you have a toy and you like play fetch with them mm-hmm. uh they're just like oh my god toy oh my god i'm a dumb dog ah, it's a toy <laughs> but like when you have a toy and you throw it for a cat it's like they're like i'm in murder mode i'm going to destroy this thing <laughs> um i'm training for the ultimate hunting yeah and everything because cats are the apex predators of the animal kingdom right um domesticated animal kingdom okay um yeah um but they're the cutest little babies um <laughs> uh, we can go right into patreon i guess tower junkies is edited and produced by matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com for a full archive of our episodes go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive 
You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!